0: Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181.
1: Well, our scripture reading for today as we continue our series is from Matthew chapter 6. And it's verses 19 through 24. And before we actually read that, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, and Lord Jesus Christ, Almighty, Triune God, Everlasting, All-Powerful, All-Knowing. We come before you this morning with the recognition that in this world we constantly interact and intersect with Ideas and words, many of which are not true and do not reflect reality. And so in these few moments we have today, as we open your word and read from it and hear it and contemplate it, we pray that your spirit will teach us, that he will bring to bear these truths into the details of our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Matthew chapter 6, middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, being the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We've reached week three of our next series, and as we continue to think about what is next for Oak Hills, where God is calling us as a congregation, His desire for us in this next season and out into the foggy and unsure future, uh, we are pressing into these things. And one of the things the Elder Board staff and Administrative Council have been talking and praying about for some time, is the debt we have as a church. As we've thought about next and we've thought about what's out in front of us, we got talking and thinking and praying about our debt as a congregation and steps we can take to eliminate the debt in order to open up new opportunities to dream about creative ways we can do spiritual formation and do mission and be the church. So part of what we believe is next for Oak Hill's is this giving campaign we are currently in where we're trying to raise $1.4 million to pay off the remaining debt we have on our facility and on our property. And next week I'm going to unpack more of those details and kind of get down into the nitty-gritty of how we can accomplish this and how we're beginning to dream boldly about what we can do with a debt-free facility and what we can do with some of the money that would be freed up if we're not spending it to service debt. But before we go there, I want to remind us all of something that I've mentioned in previous weeks, and it's this. For some people, maybe for many people, the topic of money is a delicate one to talk about in a church. I've been part of O'Kills for 23 years. We've done many sermons and many whole series on the subject of money, and without any exception at all, every single sermon and every single series stirs up thoughts and emotions and opinions. Talking about money, believe it or not, actually energizes some people. They like it when we do this. They love facing the money monster head on. But it deflates others, discourages them. Talking about money in church, for some people, feels like meddling in private affairs. And in their mind, anyway, too many churches and religious organizations have mishandled money and swindled good people and instantly when the topic of money comes up people get resistant they get defensive and it's kind of that oh no here we go again phenomena and all of the thoughts and feelings emotions and opinions about money and about a giving campaign are understandable because it is a messy and complicated subject to navigate in some ways. It's messy and complicated. But in other ways, and I would say in most ways, it isn't really that complicated, and it isn't really that messy. The Bible is actually quite clear about the place and priority of money in a Christ follower's life. In the passage we just read in Matthew chapter 6, it is abundantly clear what Jesus is trying to say about money and possessions in the life of one of his followers. And his good words are good for us to consider uh, from today's scripture reading, and we will reflect on those in a moment. The queasy part of a giving campaign is real, and I want to just simply acknowledge that. The sense of, oh boy, another religious organization, and what they're focused on is money. There's real, legitimate reactions to those things and it's one reason why we're trying to have the anti-giving giving giving campaign in other words to try to do it differently to try to be really upfront about everything to try to be as unslick as we possibly can try to be as open-handed about whatever the results of this thing are and yet i believe it is formational for us to struggle with the money topic and to not settle for easy answers It's spiritually formative for us to think about these issues together. And it is especially spiritually formative for us to think about those things that unsettle us and that rattle us and cause us to flare up and cause us to get defensive. It is really good for us to sit in those things, consider those things, not run away, not scamper off. So when you came in, you got a bulletin. In the bulletin, there is a pledge card. We aren't going to do anything with those today. But our encouragement is, is that you begin, if you haven't already, begin thinking, praying, and discussing the details of the pledge card in terms of what you what you and your family would want to commit to over the next couple of years. We have a discernment vigil that is online and you can sign up for, and I'll talk about that in a moment to kind of help create space where you can pray through and think through this idea of what you can do in the giving campaign. And we'll be receiving those pledge cards at our One Service Sunday on March 3rd. So you're going to start seeing them. We wanted to give you one now to catalyze your thinking if you haven't been thinking on it just yet. Now, I want to say this. If no matter how hard you try, you are unable and not comfortable about the giving campaign, if it creeps you out, and you can't get uncrept, we'll say, (laughs) then don't give anything. And I'm not saying this for effect. I'm saying this to reflect this anti-giving giving giving campaign. If it just creeps you out and you can't work through it, then don't give anything. And no one's going to know. No one's going to ask. No one's going to investigate. No one's going to look at you cross-eyed. No one's going to do any of that sort of thing. You'll just bypass it skip it and we'll move forward. So today as we continue we're talking about the soul of the journey. The soul of the journey we've been on as a church so far. The soul of the journey as we look to the future. And I really like this concept of the soul of the journey. So I want to begin by talking about the priority of the inner life. This past Tuesday night Lorraine and I visited one of the small groups of our church and we spent a couple of hours with this small group interacting and responding to questions, and it was an absolutely wonderful night, and I drove home, reminded yet again of why Oak Hills exists and what makes church worthwhile. The conversation revolved around how God interacts with us, how he speaks to us, how he shapes us, and how he is with us in the moments of our lives, and how we can be with him. In the moments of our lives. And it's rather amazing, as many of you know, to be with other people and think about these things together for a while. And talk about them authentically. Meaning, there are lots of questions that come up. There are doubts people have. When they're sitting in a room alone in silence, is God really there? Is He really saying something? How does that actually work? How do you know it's not just your own thoughts? ...that are creeping up. It's really good and fun to gather with a few others... ...and talk about these things authentically. And on occasions like last Tuesday night... ...where we are talking about the desire to know God... ...and hear from God and do life with God... ...it seems to me that we have worked our way down the funnel of priorities... ...and have reached what we might call the essence of what ultimately matters and of what church is really and ultimately all about. And you know this as I do. There are all kinds of things rushing at us in the course of everyday life that masquerade as ultimate and masquerade as essential. But they really aren't essential. And there are all kinds of things rushing at us in the course of doing church that masquerade as ultimate and masquerade as essential but they really aren't essential. But people seeking God is essential. People hungry to live in the reality of his kingdom right now is essential. People who want to experience him and be with him in the moments of their lives and learn how to be his disciple and begin to experience his transforming power. These things are essential. So as I mentioned, today's focus in this week three is the soul of the journey. We might say the priority of the inner life. Our own personal inner life and our communal inner life. The soul of who we are, in other words, as an individual, and the soul of who we are as a congregation. The soul of Oak Hills Church. How have we been formed in Christlikeness likeness? As a faith community. This is bottom line essential stuff. In our scripture reading, Jesus puts it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your cardia, in the Greek language. The center of who you are. What some call the will. That which determines choices and decisions. The heart. What we value. What we prize. What we treasure. In other words, originates within, it originates in our inner world. What we care about, what we live for, what we orient ourselves around, and what we strive after originates in our inner life. Our inner life, then, is the rudder that determines the course of our outer life. So Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And He's putting His finger on the importance of our inner life and orienting our inner life toward His kingdom, and everything else has a way of following along. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking then about the bottom line essence of what it means to be human. Or think of it this way, in the Sermon on the Mount, the very one who created human beings is instructing them on how to live the way they were designed to live. I mean, it's rather astounding to think about. The one who was there at creation, the one who knows humanity more than any other, is instructing them on how to live the way they were designed to live. And Jesus called this righteousness. Kingdom righteousness. A righteousness and goodness that is deeper than external conformity to a list of rules. He's talking about inner righteousness or inner rightness. A transformed heart. An inner being that is in the process of increasingly aligning with God. And out of this inner life, this Transformed heart, good and right things naturally emerge. Or good and healthy trees producing good and healthy fruit. In chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes various alternatives to this authentic inner righteousness. He describes ways we get sidetracked. And one alternative he calls, quote, practicing your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Doing things that look righteous so other people think we are righteous. That's one of the traps. It's one of the alternatives. In our scripture reading, he brings up another trap, another alternative to authentic inner righteousness. He calls it, quote, storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, which in simple terms means trusting in stuff and forgetting the priority of the inner life. Becoming enamored with stuff, with money, possessions, material goods, all the treasures of the earth. Uh, We become enamored with these things. We seek the treasures of the earth first, and we seek the kingdom if we have time and if we're not too tired. So it is good for us to step back here on this third week to remember the soul of the journey, what we are ultimately about as a church, what we ultimately care about, why we are ultimately here, why we are doing what it is that we are doing, and why ultimately we want to eradicate this debt. A long time ago, Oak Hills went through a transformational experience lasting many, many painful years. And through all of that, we unhooked from evaluating our success based solely on numbers. Numbers, for example, such as attendance. And instead, over this long period of time, God has graciously helped us learn to prioritize the transformation of the human soul and do what we can to help people experience the inner change the Spirit of God brings to those who want Him to bring it. This idea that deep within us, our heart, our will, come the choices we make and the decisions we make, our thoughts, what we think about, what our minds are trained to focus on, the feelings we have, what we've trained ourselves to feel when certain things happen and how we've trained ourselves to react when those things happen. The idolatry of our feelings, the idolatry of our thoughts, this whole inner world out of which comes anger, Lust, worry, fear, insecurity, all of these things that emanate out of the inner self, the words we speak, the way we react, the stuff that happens that we then automatically respond to, all of this being a product of the training we've subjected ourselves to such that the inner life gives birth to an outer life, and it happens automatically, and there's nothing about it that is programmed. There's nothing about it that we're trying to do. It simply reflects who we are. This inner world that the Spirit of God can bring about, authentic change, is what we are seeking to be about. We're still learning what all this means. Not trying to suggest we've arrived. Not trying to suggest that this all happens perfectly. But this is what we care about. And this is who we are as a church. And out of a transforming inner life, people and relationships grow. Character issues are changed. Shame, which is so destructive, is gradually quieted. Worry, which can be all-consuming, is gradually calmed. Insecurities that can be so paralyzing are gradually strengthened. Marriages that can struggle are gradually improved. And the orientation of life gradually shifts from being about me and what I want and what I deserve and what I'm going to get to seeking first the kingdom. And out of this transformed inner life, this new person, the spirit is growing within, mission happens as spiritual gifts are discovered and then used, and as people follow the Spirit's nudging in their everyday lives, in their schools and in their workplaces and in their neighborhoods. And when I look at today's culture, I simply cannot think of anything more desperately needed than some group, some organization that prioritizes above everything else the development of the soul, the cultivation of the inner life. I mean, look around at the chaos we're simply drowning in. Racism. Sexism. Poverty. Abortion. This anger that just does not stop. This addiction to violence in a thousand different ways. Hatred. Division. And we're not talking about some pocket over here that we might label the bad people. We're talking about an infection, a virus that is spreading throughout our culture. And many of the things I mentioned tragically are being upheld by people who at the same time profess to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And all of this stuff that is infecting our culture is an outworking of the soul the soul of individuals and the soul of our nation. It is the fruit of. Of who we have become as individual people, and it is the fruit of who we have become as a country. So, the U.S. government does not exist to develop righteous people. The educational system does not exist to develop righteous people. Business is not in business to develop righteous people, and the state of California does not exist to develop righteous people, the church's purpose is to prioritize the inner life above everything else and to cultivate people of righteous character. So I want to tell you something. It's rather uh, kind of vulnerable, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When I prepare these sermons, it is often, if not most of the time, a real battle for me. I'm fighting with myself for much of the preparation. And I'm fighting with the absurdity and the limitations of this event to really do much by way of transforming the inner life or the soul of people. I fight that. I'm usually listening to music as I prepare these sermons. Might be worship music. Might be Johnny Cash, which worship music and Johnny Cash are basically the same thing. Might be... Uh, I've heard some applause coming there. That's good. Might be Willie Nelson. Might be Screamo Heavy Metal. Some of you don't know this, but gentle, quiet, reserved. Jordan, who leads us, used to be the lead dog in a Screamo Heavy Metal band, believe it or not. You should talk to him about that. You should confront them on that, all that kind of stuff. The experience of working on these things is usually emotional for me. And I don't mean like I have an emotion. Oh, that was an emotion. I mean, it'll catch me. And I'm kind of done. And many times, my keyboard, i got to wipe it off. And I don't know why. But I have some idea. And you may be wondering, why is that? Here's why. Because I'm an internal mess. That's why. Which means this. I am broken beyond what you could possibly imagine. And you know something? I've come to like that. Not like it because I'm stuck there. Not like it because, oh, you know, I just want to hang out in this mess or in this brokenness. Not that at all. I like it because I finally learned that I find God in the midst of the inner mess and in the midst of the inner brokenness. I like it because it's been journeying into those things and dealing with those things, and sitting in that brokenness, where I found the goodness of God to me, and His grace, and His patience, and I experience His gentle presence, and His transforming power. And I simply refuse to play this game of pretending to be some pastor who has it all together, because I don't have it all together. And I've had this fortunate experience as I've learned how broken things are within, to experience some transformation in that. Some peace in the midst of that internal mess. So, for all those reasons, this can be emotional for me. But there's another reason why preparing messages can be emotional. It's because I actually really, genuinely, passionately believe this stuff. I believe the inner life is a primary focus of the Christian gospel and the essence of authentic living. I believe the inner life, your inner life, my inner life, and our inner life, really and actually matters immensely. And I actually believe it matters almost more than anything. Secondly, let's talk about the spirituality of money. Jesus' teaching in our scripture reading has much to say to us about money and stuff and the things of this earth and it has something particularly to say to us at Oak Hills Church on this day because many of us live in relative abundance in terms of money and wealth. I live in relative abundance in terms of money and wealth. Julie and I are wealthy relative to most of the world. We have way more than we actually need. And here's the thing. We can pretend if we want to that that doesn't matter. We can dismiss that or we can hurry our way through and quickly get to all the yeah buts. Yeah, but God gives us these things and in themselves they aren't bad and they aren't wrong. Yeah, but there were lots of people in the Bible who were rich. Yeah, but poverty isn't more spiritual and there is truth in all those yeah buts. But Jesus in our scripture reading warns against treasuring the things of earth and he teaches us to treasure the things of eternity to care about the things that ultimately matter and to invest in those things that ultimately matter you see what we do with our money according to Jesus and according to the teaching of the new testament is not a transaction and it is not a matter of this compartment over here called our financial lives what we do with our money, according to Jesus in the New Testament, is in fact a matter of the soul. What we do with our money is an issue of our inner life. So we'll say it this way. Money is a spiritual issue because Jesus says money and possessions and stuff are actually rival God's that compete for our allegiance and loyalty and devotion and attention. And the sobering words again of Matthew 6, 24, where Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's pretty clear. And I want us to be a congregation that does not... Hurry away from this. I want us to be a congregation that walks right into this and owns the sole risk of money and wealth. Instead of immediately finding the loophole and promoting the loophole and, yeah, butting our way around this so it doesn't actually have an impact on us. A smart guy named Miroslav Volf talks about thin faith and thick faith. Thin faith, he writes, quote, is not allowed full sway in shaping the way Christians live but is either employed to achieve goals set by values unrelated to faith or allowed to define goals but not the means of achieving them. We mold faith to fit our own desires and our own capacity to live in a given situation. We bend faith. In other words, so it fits what we already think and what we already believe and confirms what we already think and what we already believe. Now, we do this not only with money, but we do it with money. Thick faith is the kind where we let the scripture shape us to be more like Jesus and shape us to be more of a kingdom outpost in this darkening world. And that's why. With all gentleness and grace, I have no hesitation about this giving campaign or about talking about money. See, we have the means in this room and in the room at nine o'clock to eradicate the 1.4 million in debt and set the table for those who come after us to do ministry in a post-Christian culture without worrying about servicing the debt. And again, I'm going to keep saying this. If this creeps you out, don't give. But I hope you'll pray and seek God and recognize there's nothing more important in life than the cultivation of the inner life. And that's why we're here. And we, you and I, because of where we live, the town we live in, and the relative affluence we enjoy, must push ourselves to confront the rival God stuff. And one way to do that is through sacrificial giving. So sometimes with topics like this, the question really is, where do I start? What's a good first step? I can't go from, you know, here to 60, zero to 60 overnight. What's a good first step? And for some people, a good first step might be this budget class we're doing on Tuesday night. I suspect the budget class will be terrifically underwhelming since I'm, teaching it or leading it. But I I don't have a high expectation. Uh, It'll be okay. But mainly what it'll be is another conversation like this. Another way to talk about this and at least hear a little bit from my perspective and uh, sort of how Julie and I navigated this and continue to navigate it and struggle with it. And so if you want to come to that, it's at 7 o'clock in the Family Auditorium and you can sign up online. Third and last, let's talk about the invitation to trust deeply. When we thought of this series, one of the phrases that was important to us was trusting deep. It's in the lower left corner of the slide. And it's good just to ponder that for a second. Trusting deep. What does it mean for you, for me, to trust God deeply these days. To trust Jesus deeply in a specific aspect of life. I had a conversation with a very good friend recently about the idea of belief. And what it actually means to believe in God. This guy's a quality guy. I've known him since I was eight years old. So I've known him for a long time. We grew up on the same street in Wisconsin. He's a good man. He's a good friend, and I care about this guy. We were talking about what it means to believe in God, and he, like many, had a definition that was essentially synonymous with acknowledge. As in, I acknowledge there is a God. So people say, I believe there's a God. I acknowledge there's a God. I acknowledge a guy named Jesus lived and did amazing things, at some point in history. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, which really translated means, I acknowledge a guy named Jesus lived and did some amazing things at some point in history. But the problem, as he and I discussed, is that belief in the Bible is not merely acknowledgement. Biblical belief, or what is termed faith, means trust, and trust carries with it the idea of action in accordance with the trust we profess to have. See, authentic belief is lived out, not just thought out. So I believe that if I jump off this stage right now, I will land and I will jar my lower back and increase the pain that's in my back, which is already rather substantial. So, I won't do it. Action, or in this case, non-action, follows right behind belief. I believe jumping off this stage would hurt me, so I don't do it. I also believe regular stretching helps my lower back. So I regularly do it. It wouldn't mean much if I said, I believe in stretching. I believe it exists. I believe that there's a thing called stretching. Really? Well, that's not biblical belief. Biblical belief is, I believe stretching helps my back. Really? Prove it. Okay, come to my house and I'll show you when I do it. Action follows belief. Seek first his kingdom is not something to agree with. Yeah, that's right, we should do that. I believe we should seek first his kingdom. I acknowledge seeking first God's kingdom is the way to be. It's not something to agree with, it's something to align with. Authentic belief, real belief produces action. Do not store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Is not something to acknowledge, but to believe. And if we believe, there will be action. And again, we're not talking about all or nothing. We're talking about next steps. We're talking about movement. So Jesus invites us, and the New Testament invites us, and the Old Testament invites us to trust God deeply in everything. If someone were to ask me, what is a Christian? And I had four seconds... I'd say a Christian is someone who is learning to trust Jesus Christ in everything. So we've mentioned this discernment vigil. It's a uh, rather intimidating title, and maybe that's why I think half a person has signed up so far. But this discernment vigil is this idea of time set aside, one hour to come, and there's a guide that is there to, to take you through this. Give an hour to pray, to seek, to consider, To reflect alone with your spouse, with your family, with your small group, simply to deal with where's Jesus inviting me to trust him deeply? What's next for us as a couple? What might be a good next step for us in our marriage or as a family? How can we as a family or a couple seek first the kingdom together? And certainly, as we're in that discernment time, How can we participate in this giving campaign? How much should we give? Might God have an answer for us that we would come and open up a space and allow him to speak to us? I would encourage you, if for no other reason, to depart from the chaotic race for one hour and sign up for the uh, discernment vigil. Like I said, there's a guide there. It'll walk you right through it, and you can sign up online. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a minute. We're going to take a moment or two. Manuel is going to lead us through a reflection to give us a little bit of time right now to reflect on these things. So let me pray and then he will lead us through it. Lord Jesus, we are thankful to you for your life, for your teaching and spirit of God. We are thankful to you for the way in which you speak to us and open our eyes And we continue to pray that we will be people and a church that invites you into the deep places, invites you past our defenses and past all of the things that we claim we already know, down into the nitty-gritty of our interior world where choices and decisions and action and responses and reaction and ways of thinking Ways of reinforcing our insecurities. Ways of judgment all dwell in that interior place. Help us to seek you first that we might be transformed. We pray in Christ's name.
0: Well, we thought it would be a good thing f- to allow ourselves an opportunity to respond uh, to whatever the Spirit of God might be doing um, in this room and maybe in your hearts. And so I want to invite you at this point to just sit deeply into your seat. I want you to recognize the quietness of the room. Maybe c- recognize your own breathing, inhaling, exhaling. And as you do so, recognize also that the spirit of God is dynamic and alive and he is in this room with us and he wants to speak to us in some way and in this moment. photo up on the screen right now this is a picture of a throne and of course this throne is a symbol of authority and of power it's a, a display of, of who is in charge and this particular throne is on display at the Louvre. It happens to be Napoleon's throne. Napoleon is the epitome of someone who wanted to be the king. He wanted to be on the throne. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be the king of a kingdom. And that kingdom was going to be the world. Now, it seems a little silly, but the reality is that we all have a throne. This throne exists in our hearts. And we have a tendency to put things on it. As as Mike said, we put these rival gods on these thrones and they, they act inside us in internal ways and they move us and they cause us to work in uh, contrary to the Spirit of God, contrary to the will of, of God's intention for us. Maybe it's uh, material things, the things we buy, Or the things we dream about buying. All the things that expose what we really treasure. Maybe it's our selfish desires. Our me first life. Maybe it's our favorite secret sins. Like jealousy or lust or anger. Maybe it's just money. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's security or status. The the desire to have more and more. Every time we willfully choose anything that takes God off of that throne and puts us there instead. The sole part of the journey is the process of taking the parts of ourselves, the parts of our deformation, off of this throne. So that in the end, only God remains on the throne, firmly seated where he should be on the throne of our hearts. So now I want to give you just like a minute or two to listen once again to the small, still voice that he might reveal to us those things that we placed on the throne instead of God. Take that moment now. with ourselves we realize how incredibly hard it is to let go of the things that we uh, we grasp in these places and upon that throne there is a prayer of simplicity that we'd like to put on the screen and I'd like to lead you in this now let's say this together unclutter our lives Lord we have too much Consume too much. Expect too much. Grant us perspective to see this world through others' eyes than just our own. Grant us compassion where there is need to play our part, not turn aside. Grant us gratitude for what we have, our daily bread, the gift of life. Unclutter our lives, Lord. Give us space, simplicity, thankful hearts.